If you have your Bibles, please turn them to the book of Jude. I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. But Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, also prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts, and their mouth speaks arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. So we've been going through Jude, and we've been following along these this small little letter of 25 verses, and in Jude 3, we looked at the purpose of the letter and determined that every believer in the church is supposed to contend earnestly for the faith in their local church community and then in their broader church community. So it's just, you grow in that local church and then you branch out to the local community. In Jude 4, we saw that the problem and the danger for the church is that certain persons have crept in unnoticed who deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And I pointed out that for those certain persons have crept in, they've crept in unnoticed. I've called them imposters because of their deception. They come in and they say, we believe what you believe. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe the doctrines you believe. We want to bless you, but that's truly not their purpose. And then on the last two sermons we went through, we saw Jude verses 12 through 15, but in 12, 12 through 13, we saw Jude describe the fruit of the imposters by using five similitudes of nature. Jude called the imposters hidden reefs, clouds without water, trees without fruit, wild waves of the sea, and wandering stars. And I challenged all of us to contend for the faith by being the opposite of the imposters in which we should be charted reefs, moisture-laden clouds, fruit-bearing trees, gentle rolling waves of the sea, and fixed stars. And the question we should think about, have you accepted this challenge to contend for the faith by being the opposite of the imposters? Each time we look at their fruit, and we talk about the root sins. We should be the opposite. We should live out the opposite of these imposters. That is a way of contending for the faith in your local church. Then in verses 14 and 15, we saw Jude use the prophecy of Enoch to show that the imposters' sins are against the Lord himself, and that the Lord Jesus will come again and execute judgment and convict the imposters along with all who are ungodly, for all their sins against him. And in Enoch's eyes, this is as good as done. And I ended that sermon with two observations that we should consider. First, as Christians, we should look at the coming of the Lord Jesus with joy, eagerness, and anticipation, as if it were coming soon. Because Jesus has already started the process of regeneration, justification, adoption, and sanctification in us. And he will bring this process to completion 
in our glorification when Jesus makes us to be like him in his glorified body for all eternity. We should anticipate this, look to it with eagerness. We should want others to come along in this process. Second, we should contend for the faith against the imposters and evangelize to the ungodly, warning the unbelievers about Jesus Christ coming again to judge the living and the dead without the fear of man. We should be able to share the gospel without the fear of any man except the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's the one who we should fear. He is the judge. He will judge us in righteousness. But he's the one who caused us to be born again. He's the one who's building us as a holy house, as as a holy priesthood to proclaim his goodness, his excellencies, his person and work. And then before we get started on our next verse, I just want to point out a mistake that I made in the last sermon that one of our members lovingly reminded me about from the scriptures. And I made the mistake of saying that Enoch was the only human being that did not die but went to be with God. But the scriptures say that there were two human beings that did not die but went to be with God. These two were Enoch and Elijah, and both were Old Testament prophets. We see this happen with Elijah, 2 Kings 2.11. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and it separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And so today we come to Jude, verse 16 in which Jude describes five characteristics of the imposters who have crept into the church unnoticed. And as we look at these descriptions, remember that these are the fruit sins that are caused by the root sins of unbelief, stubbornness, rebellion, pride. And these are the sins that both Enoch and Jude agree that deserve the judgment of God. So let's just read this again. Jude 14. But Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam also prophesied about these men saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault following after their own lusts, and their mouth speaks arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. And Jude starts verse 16 with these. So Jude here applies the prophecy of Enoch to the imposters that have crept into the church unnoticed. He says Enoch was talking about these persons, these men and women, these imposters, who have crept into the church unnoticed. And Jude gives us these five descriptions of the imposter's sins in which Enoch's prophecy speaks of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Jesus Christ. Jude again describes the sins of the imposters in the reverse order. And so just like we saw in verse 8, as we looked at verses 5 through 7, Jude flips over the order and describes them in reverse order. And I'll just show you this. 
This will be evident, too, as we look at these descriptions, but I'll put these together. Jude 15. To execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. Jude describes these ungodly deeds done in an ungodly way as following after their own lusts. Their mouth speaks arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. And then go back to Jude 15 in the beginning, or the, the end. All the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, Jude describes the ungodly sinners that speak harsh words against Jesus as grumblers, finding fault, or fault finders. So he flipped them over and he gives them to us backwards. So let's look at these five characteristics of the ungodly impostors that Jude describes to us in verse 16. <clears throat> First, these are grumblers. The word grumbler means one who grumbles or murmurs, one who complains or a discontented man. <clears throat> there can be grumbling that may not be sinful as when people make a legitimate complaint. But Jude's not spot. He's not speaking about a legitimate complaint. We do see this in Acts 6, 1 through 3. Now in those days, while the disciples were multiplying in number, there was grumbling from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not pleasing to God for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we, be, whom we may put in charge of this need. So we see there, there's a legitimate complaint, even though the Bible says they grumbled. Notice the apostles didn't say, you're in sin, you shouldn't grumble against us. But Jude, he uses this term grumblers in the negative sense from the Greek Septuagint. And in this context, these impostors always make illegitimate complaints. Jude is saying that these impostors are not complaining against men, but against Jesus himself. All of this type of grumbling is against God himself and will bring about the wrath of God in the judgment. So as we previously, we looked at Korah's rebellion and we saw the judgment of God upon Korah and the congregations that rebelled against God. The people who survived that encounter with God by his mercy started to grumble against God the very next day. And God's wrath went upon them in the form of a plague that killed 14,700 people because they grumbled against God. If you're a grumbler, you should expect God's wrath. If you're grumbling against God, you should expect it. Look at Numbers 16, 41 through 46. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the ones who have caused the death of the people of Yahweh. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tent of meeting. And behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of Yahweh appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. Then they fell on their faces, and Moses said to Aaron, 
Take your censer and put it in the fire from the altar and lay incense on it. Then bring it quickly to the congregation and make an atonement for them. For the wrath has gone forth from Yahweh. The plague has begun. And then in number 17, 5. Thus, I will rid myself of the grumblings of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against you. And he's talking about their grumbling against Moses and Aaron. So if you just read these verses, you might get the impression that the people were just grumbling against Moses and Aaron. But the fact is that they were grumbling against God himself. Let's see what God says about the people grumbling against Moses and Aaron. Number 17.10 But Yahweh said to Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put an end to their grumblings against me so that they will not die. So in those first verses I read, it, it shows the people grumbling against Moses and Aaron. But God says, they grumbled against me, and my wrath has come upon them. They now need atonement. Without that atonement, they will die. The grumbler in the church should think about that. Grumbling can be subtle. And the imposters may grumble in a way that draws others into grumbling with them, so that the imposters have assurance that they are not the only ones who grumble. Grumbling is complaining and murmuring, as I stated before. One man said murmuring is a great sin, and not a mere weakness. It contains within itself unbelief, pride, rebellion, and a whole host of sins. Grumbling is showing a dissatisfaction with God's ways and unbelief in the sovereignty of God. The imposters may say that they believe in the sovereignty of God as they creep into the church unnoticed, but then they complain about everyone in the church and everything that happens in the church as if God is not in control of anything. Remember, this isn't a church setting. The apostles warn the church about grumbling and command the church not to grumble. 1 Corinthians 10, 9-11 Nor let us put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages has arrived. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 1 Peter 4.9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. See how these are all commands. One man writes, the term grumble denotes dissatisfaction with someone's words or deeds and often leads to condemning the speaker or the doer. So the imposters are in the church and they say they're dissatisfied with who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. And the imposters continue to be grumblers and produce the fruit sin of grumbling because they have never truly repented of their root sin of unbelief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why they grumble. They're still in unbelief. How can I make this statement? Listen to how the Jews grumbled because of their unbelief in who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ is doing right in their eyes. John 6, 
40 through 44. For this is, my, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see how they're grumbling about Jesus Christ, who he is? You're not God, you're just the son of Joseph. That's what these imposters treat Jesus like as they grumble against him. Listen to the disciples grumbling against Jesus because of his gospel that he proclaimed. He started to preach harder and harder as more people came around. They didn't like it. John 6, 60 through 66. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples went away and were not walking with him anymore. Why did they grumble? Because of the gospel that Jesus preached. They grumbled because Jesus was in control and God the Father was in control of who could come to Jesus himself. And they grumbled in their unbelief. Jude says that these imposters are grumblers and they are ungodly sinners who are guilty of grumbling against Jesus Christ, which accords with the prophecy of Enoch, where Enoch says, the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch was saying the same thing that Jude is saying. So second, from verse 16, Jude says they were finding fault. And Jude takes the verb finding and pairs it with the verb fault to make a compound verb finding fault. Or some translations say fault finder, which means to find fault with one's lot in life. Other translations use words like malcontents, complainers, and fault finders, meaning that a person finding fault is always critical of everything and everyone, and they can't stop expressing their critiques verbally. These complaints just naturally flow out of the fault finders' mouths, and these are harsh words directed at God. So finding fault makes you a fault finder. A person finding fault here relates to a person who is unhappy with the place and position that God has given them in life. And because they are not satisfied with their place and position, they have a critical attitude towards God, and they habitually complain against God. So what does this look like, though? 
I'll give you two examples. In the first example, the fault finder habitually complains against God because others around them prosper when they don't. The fault finder complains against God because they feel that they suffer more than others around them. The fault finder never praises God or draws near to God as their refuge, but complains against God about all of the difficult situations that arise in their life. Whether it's work, family, injustice, or the daily tasks of normal everyday living, the fault finder is always critical. The psalmist fell into this sin for a time, but God granted the psalmist repentance. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel. And just listen to the the fault-finding thoughts that are in him. To those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the boastful. I saw the peace of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, and they are not stricken along with the rest of mankind. Therefore, lofty pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulges from fatness. The delusions of their heart overflow. They scoff and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue goes through the earth. Therefore, his people return here to his place and waters of fullness are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. So he just explains all the people he's envious of. Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and reproved every morning. If I had said, I will recount this. Behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I gave thought to know this, it was trouble in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You caused them to fall to destruction. How they become desolate in a moment. They are completely swept away by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered, I was pierced within. Then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like an animal before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will lead me and afterward take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have set the Lord Yahweh as my refuge, that I may recount all of your works. You see, there was a time when he was just looking at the world and he was grumbling in his own heart because of how everybody else prospered. He wasn't happy with his lot in life. But then God drew him near to see what was truly happening. 
And he said, I, I, I was on a slippery slope. I nearly stumbled. But the Lord was gracious to him. Second example, and this example may be what the fault finder does in the church setting. The fault finder can't just outright complain against God because that would be obvious to everyone in the church. So the fault finder has a critical attitude towards all of God's people in the church, and the fault finder habitually complains about what God is doing in the lives of the members in the church. The fault finder, according to Jude 4, has no grace for anyone. So although the fault finder says that they have joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are quick to see the remaining sins in the believers and accuse those believers of being sinners while complaining about them to others in the church. Instead of showing mercy, peace, and love towards God's elect, all of this is because of their critical attitude towards God. They're fault finders. And that's what it looks like. You can see this with with the Pharisees. Mark 3, 1 through 6. And he, Jesus, entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel together with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. These Pharisees are very religious. Your righteousness must must be more than the righteousness of the Pharisee. But they were just looking at how to destroy him. They were looking for ways to accuse him. And that's what the fault finder does in the church setting the imposter. They're very religious. And they're, they're looking at you. They're not going to show you grace when you sin in front of them. Or when they say you sin in front of them. Again, John 12, 2 through 5. So they made him supper there, and Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary then took a litra of perfume, a very costly pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was going to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to take from what was put in it. But you see how this lady, forgiven of her sins, loves and adores Jesus Christ. And the imposter in the room criticizes her for it. That's fault finding. So Jude says that the imposters are fault finders, and they are ungodly sinners who are guilty of finding fault with God and complaining against Jesus Christ, which accords with the prophecy of Enoch, where Enoch says, the harsh things which ungodly sinners 
have spoken against him. So back to Jude 16, and we'll look at this third characteristic of these imposters. Jude says, following after their own lusts. The word following here means pursuing, obeying, or practicing. The word lust here is used in the negative sense, meaning sinful passions, evil desires that may include sexual sin, or they're just greedy for gain. We see the word lust and we just think it's got to be sexual sin, but that's not what it actually means. After their own means not God's desires, but their own personal desires, which makes these desires evil. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he, was, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully matured, it brings forth death. And if you'll notice, if you have a different translation, they don't use the word lust there. They use desires. So you can interchange those. As the NIV does, the ESV. So Jude is saying that the imposters are controlled by their own sinful desires. Therefore, they pursue their own will and not God's will. The imposters say they are slaves of Jesus Christ as they come into the church. They say they are walking in the Spirit, but their lives prove that they are following their own desires. Romans 6.16 Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You are a slave to those desires that you pursue. One man writes, A child of God may be overcome by his lusts, but he does not walk after them or serve them. He may be hit by a sword, but he does not give up the combat and is still resisting, striving, praying, and calling on the help of the Spirit. But as I said before, the imposters do not do that. There is no resisting because they are obedient to their own lusts and they were following them. When the imposters are confronted about following their own lusts, they always find a way to make God's word align with their own lusts because the imposters are still slaves of sin. John 8, 31 through 36. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And what are you free to do? To abide in his word. That's what you're free to do. To obey his commands. To obedient 
to Jesus Christ because of your love that you now have for him. That's what you're free to do. You are free to be a slave of righteousness. You are free to be a slave of Christ. But the imposters are still slaves of their own lusts. Jude says that the imposters are following after their own lusts, and these are their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, which Enoch spoke about. Jude reminds us that the apostles said the same thing as Jude and Enoch in Jude 18, that they were saying to you, the apostles, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. We'll look at that in the future. So back to Jude 16, we'll look at the fourth char characteristic of these imposters. And their mouth speaks arrogantly. The word arrogantly means in an arrogant manner, with undue pride or self-importance. The NIV translates this as they boast about themselves. This has the idea that they want all of the attention on themselves and they make boastful comments bragging about themselves or they use big words so that everybody will pay attention to them. The KJV translates this as their mouth speaketh great swelling words. And this has that idea that they speak with big words to gain attention, but those big words are empty in substance. They are vanity. Peter agrees with them, Second Peter, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity. They're big, boastful words, but they're useless. They mean nothing. They don't point you to Christ. They point you to the imposter. The impostors speak arrogantly to gain glory for themselves and to rob glory from God. This is why the deed is so evil. Daniel 11.36 speaks of this. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will speak astonishingly, astonishing things against the god of gods. So Jude says that the impostors boast about themselves and these are their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, which Enoch spoke about. And back to Jude 16, we'll look at the fifth characteristic of the impostors. Flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. Jude uses a Hebrew idiom translated into Greek, and it means to show partiality for the sake of material benefits. And this is forbidden in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Leviticus 19.15 You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you shall judge your neighbor in righteousness. Deuteronomy 16.19 You shall not be partial and you shall not take a bribe. James 2.1-4 My brothers, do not hold your faith in a glory in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in bright clothes, and there, is also, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes, 
and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So flattering, flattering is translated from the Greek words to admire faces or to lift up faces. It has the idea of giving false praise. That's what flattering is. We can all fall into this sin. Flattering people to get something you want is an easy sin to fall into. Jude says the imposters use manipulation or false praise towards those in the church who can help the imposter with material or monetary gain. So what might this look like in the church setting? Well, the imposter gives false praise to the believers to gain approval and acceptance in order to gain a high place in the church. They want the attention. The imposters may say that they have a special love for certain people in the church so that those people will help the imposter financially. They may be doing it in different ways, too. You might, they might make you feel sorry for them, so you need to help them financially. They're just victims. But either way, they're manipulating, they're flattering people to help them. Jude says that the imposters' ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, which Enoch spoke about, is to flatter people for the sake of their own benefit. So let's, I'm just going to read this one more time. Jude 14 through 16. But Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam also prophesied about these men saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault following after their own lusts, and their mouth speaks arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. And now I want to just, after we've seen that, just take a few minutes to compare the imposters with our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And remember, these imposters, their end is judgment. Jesus will execute judgment upon these imposters. Enoch, it's like right before his eyes. He's already seen it happen. All the ungodly. So Jude says that the imposters are grumblers, but our Lord Jesus Christ never grumbled. Scripture says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. He could have grumbled, but he didn't. But these imposters grumble about everything. Jude says the imposters are fault finders. But look at our 
Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The imposter is critical of God for his place in life, yet Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jude says the imposters follow after their own lusts, but our Lord Jesus Christ only did his Father's will. Listen to Jesus' words, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. The perfect and spotless Lamb comes just to do the desires of his Father. Jude says the imposters, their mouth speaks arrogantly, but our Lord Jesus Christ only spoke as his Father told him. He said, For I did not speak from myself, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says that the imposters flatter people for the sake of their own benefit. But our Lord Jesus Christ lays down his life for his people. And because his Father loves him, he does this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but from myself I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Now this is Jesus, who was the Word of God, who had power and authority. He could have flattered anyone for the sake of benefit. But he laid down his life 
to do the will of the Father, to save sinners to himself. So as we've been looking at that, this raises one question. Who do you think you resemble? The imposter or the Lord Jesus Christ? Think about that this week. Who do you resemble? What, what are the char- characteristics in your life? Do they look like the imposters or do they look like Jesus Christ's? Jesus says that if you are born of him, you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come in. 